Sojourn. Chapter 4. Worries. Farmer Bartholomew Thistledown's perspective changed considerably when Connor, his oldest son, renamed Liam's Drizzet a dark elf. Farmer Thistledown had spent his entire 45 years in Maldabar, a village 50 miles up the Dead Orc River north of Sundabar. Bartholomew's father had lived here and his father's father before him. In all that time, the only news any farmer Thistledown had ever heard of dark elves was a tale of a suspected drow raid on a small settlement of wild elves a hundred miles to the north in Coldwood. That raid, if it even was perpetrated by the drow, had occurred more than a decade before. Lack of personal experience with the drow race did not diminish Farmer Thistledown's fears at hearing his children's tale of the encounter in the blueberry patch. Connor and Eleni, two trusted sources, old enough to keep their wits about them in times of crisis, had viewed the elf up close, and they held no doubts about the color of the skin. The only thing I can't rightly figure, Bartholomew told Benson Delmo, the fat and cheerful mayor of Maldabar and several other farmers gathered at his house that night, is why this drow let the children go free. I'm no expert on the ways of dark elves, but I've heard tale enough about them to expect a different sort of action. Perhaps Connor fared better in his attack than he believed, Delmo piped in tactfully. They all had heard the tale of Connor's disarming. Liam and the other Thistledown children, except for poor Connor, of course, particularly enjoyed retelling that part. As much as he appreciated the mayor's vote of confidence, though, Connor shook his head emphatically at the suggestion. He took me, Connor admitted. Maybe I was too surprised at the sight of him, but he took me, clean. And no easy feat, Bartholomew put in, deflecting any forthcoming snickers from the gruff crowd. We've all seen Connor at fighting. Just last winter he took down three goblins and the wolves they were riding. Calm, good farmer Thistledown, the mayor offered. We've no doubts of your son's prowess. I've my doubts about the truth or the fool put in Roddy McGristle, a bear-sized and bear-hairy man, the most battle-seasoned of the group. Roddy spent more time up in the mountains than tending his farm, a recent endeavor he didn't particularly enjoy, and whenever someone offered a bounty on org ears, Roddy invariably collected the largest portion of the coffers, often larger than the rest of the town combined. "'Put your neck hairs down,' Roddy said to Connor, as the boy began to rise, a sharp protest obviously forthcoming. I know what you says you seen, and I believe that you seen what you says. But you called it a drow, and that title carries more than you could begin to know. If it was a drow you found, my guess is that yourself and your kin be laying dead right now in that there blueberry patch. No... Not a drow, by my guess. But there's other things in them mountains could do what you says that thing did. Name em, Bartholomew said crossly, not appreciating the doubts Roddy had cast over his son's stories. Bartholomew didn't like Roddy very much anyway. Farmer Thistledown kept a respectable family, and every time crude and loud Roddy McGristle came to pay a visit, it took Bartholomew and his wife many days to remind the children particularly Liam, about proper behavior. Roddy just shrugged, taking no offense at Bartholomew's tone. 
goblin, troll, might be a wood elf that's seen too much of the sun. His laughter, erupting after the last statement, rolled over the group, belittling their seriousness. Then how do we know for sure? said Delmo. We find out by finding out, Roddy offered. Tomorrow morning, he pointed around at each man sitting at Bartholomew's table. We go out and see what we can see. Considering the impromptu meeting at an end, Roddy slammed his hands down on the table and pushed himself to his feet. He looked back before he got to the farmhouse door, though, and cast an exaggerated wink and nearly toothless smile back at the group. And boys, he said, don't be forgetting your weapons. Roddy's cackle rolled back in on the group long after the rough-edged mountain men had departed. We could call in a ranger, one of the other farmers offered, hopefully, as the dispirited group began to depart. I heard there's one in Sundabar, one of Lady Illustrial's sisters. A bit too early for that, Mayor Delmo answered, defeating any optimistic smiles. Is it ever too early when drow are involved? Bartholomew quickly put in. The mayor shrugged. Let us go with McGristle, he replied. If anyone can find some truth up on the mountains, it's him. He tactfully turned to Connor. I believe your tale, Connor. Truly I do. But we've got to know for sure before we put out a call for such a distinguished assistance as a sister of Lady of Silvermoon. The mayor and the rest of the visiting farmers departed, leaving Bartholomew, his father, Markle, and Connor alone in Thistledown Kitchen. "'Wasn't no goblin or wood elf,' Connor said in a low tone that hinted at both anger and embarrassment. Bartholomew patted his son on the back, never doubting him. Up in a cave in the mountains, Ulgulu and Kemphana, too, spent a night of worry over the appearance of a dark elf. If he's a drow, then he's an experienced adventurer, Kemfana offered to his larger brother. Experienced enough, perhaps, to send Ulgulu into maturity. And back to Gahana, Ulgulu finished for his conniving brother. You do so dearly desire to see me depart. You, too, hope for the day when you may return to the Smoking Rifts. Kemfana reminded him. Ulgulu snarled and did not reply. The appearance of a dark elf prompted many considerations and fears beyond Kemfana's simple statement of logic. The bargests, like all intelligent creatures on nearly every plane of existence, knew of the drow and maintained a healthy respect for the race. While one drow might not be too much of a problem, Ulgulu knew that a dark elf war party perhaps even an army, could prove disastrous. The whelps were not invulnerable. The human village had provided easy pickings for the bargest whelps and might continue to do so for some time if Ulgulu and Kemfana were careful about their attacks. But if a band of dark elves showed up, those easy kills could disappear quite suddenly. This drow must be dealt with, Kemfana remarked. If he is a scout, then he must not return to report. Ulgulu snapped a cold glare back on his brother, then called to his quickling. Tephonus! he cried, and the quickling was upon his shoulder before he'd even finished the word. 
You need me to go and kill the drow, my master? The quickling replied. I understand what you need me to do. No! Ugulu shouted immediately, sensing that the quickling intended to go right out. Tifanus was halfway to the door by the time Ugulu finished the syllable, but the quickling returned to Ugulu's shoulder before the last note of the shout had ever died away. No, Ugulu said again, more easily. There may be gain in the drow's appearance. Kemfana read Ugulu's evil grin and understood his brother's intent. A new enemy for the townspeople, the smaller whelp reasoned. A new enemy to cover Ugulu's murders. All things can be turned to advantage, the big purple-skinned bargest replied wickedly. Even the appearance of a dark elf. Ugulu turned back to Tifanus. You wish me to learn more of the drow, my master? Tifanus spouted excitedly. Is he alone? Ugulu asked. Is he a forward scout to a larger group, as we fear, or a lone warrior? What are his intentions toward the townspeople? He could have killed the children, Tifanus reiterated. I guess him to desire friendship. I know, Ugulu snarled. You have made these points before. Go now and learn more. I need more than your guests, Tifanus, and by all accounts... A drow's actions rarely hint at his true intent. Tifana skipped down from Ugulu's shoulder and paused, expecting further instructions. Indeed, dear Tifanus, Ugulu purred, do see if you can appropriate one of the drow's weapons for me. It would prove useful. Ugulu stopped when he noticed the flutter in the heavy curtain blocking the entry room. An excitable little sprite, Kemfana noted. But with his uses, Ugulu replied, and Kemfana had to nod in agreement. Drizzt saw them coming from a mile away, ten armed farmers followed by the young man he'd met in the blueberry patch on the previous day. Though they talked and joked, the set of their stride was determined, and their weapons were prominently displayed, obviously ready to be put to use. Even more insidious, walking to the side of the main band came a barrel-chested, grim-faced man wrapped in thick skins, brandishing a finely crafted axe, and leading two large and snarling yellow dogs on thick chains. Drizzt wanted to make further contact with the villagers, wanted dearly to continue the events he'd set into motion the previous day, and learn if he might have, at long last, found a place where he could call home. But this coming encounter, he realized, was not the place to make such gains. If the farmers found him, there would surely be trouble. And while Drizzt wasn't too worried for his own safety against the ragged band, even considering the grim-faced fighter, he did fear that one of the farmers might get hurt. Drizzt decided that his mission this day was to avoid the group and to deflect their curiosity. The Drew knew the perfect diversion to accomplish such goals. He set the Yonks figurine on the ground before him and called to Gwenhyver. 
A buzzing noise off to the side, followed by the sudden rustle of a brush, distracted the drow for just a moment as the customary mist swirled around the figurine. Drizzt saw nothing ominous approaching, though, and quickly dismissed it. He had more pressing problems, he thought. When Gwenhyver arrived, Drizzt and the cat moved down the trail toward the blueberry patch, while Drizzt guessed that the farmers would begin their hunt there. His plan was simple. He would let the farmers mill about the area for a while, let the farmer's son retell the story of his encounter. Gwenhyver then would make an appearance along the edge of the patch and lead the group on a futile chase. The black-furred panther might cast some doubts on the farm boy's tale. Possibly the older men would assume that the children had encountered the cat and not a dark elf, and that their imaginations had supplied the rest of the details. It was a gamble, Drizzt knew, but, at the very least, Gwenhyver would cast some doubts about the existence of the dark elf and would get this hunting party away from Drizzt for quite a while. The farmers arrived at the blueberry patch on schedule. A few grim-faced and battle-ready, but the majority of the group talking casually in conversation filled with laughter. They found the discarded sword, and Drizzt watched, nodding his head, as the farmer's son played through the events of the previous day. Drizzt noticed, too, that the large axe-wielder, listening to the story half-heartedly, circled the group with his dogs, pointing in various spots in the patch and coaxing the dogs to sniff about. Drizzt had no practical experience with dogs, but he knew that many creatures had superior senses and could be used to aid in a hunt. "'Go, Gwenhyver,' the drow whispered, not waiting for the dogs to get a clear scent. The great panther loped silently down the trail and took up a position in one of the trees in the same grove where the boys had hidden the previous day. Gwenhyver's sudden roar silenced the group's growing conversation in an instant, all heads spinning to the trees. The panther leaped out into the patch, shot right past the stun humans, and darted across the rising rocks of the mountain slopes. The farmers hooted and took up pursuit, calling for the men with the dogs to take the lead. Soon the whole group, dogs baying wildly, moved off, and Drizzt went down into the grove near the blueberry patch to consider the day's events and his best course of action. He thought that a buzzing noise followed him, though, but he passed it off as a hum of an insect. By his dog's confused actions, it didn't take Roddy McGristle long to figure out that the panther was not the same creature that had left the scent in the blueberry patch. Furthermore, Roddy realized that his ragged companions, particularly the obese mare, even with his aid, had little chance of catching the great cat. The panther could spring across ravines and would take the farmers many minutes to circumvent. Go on, Roddy told the rest of the group. Chase the thing along the course. I'll take me dogs and go far to the side and get the thing cut off. Turn it back at ya. The farmers hooted their accord and bounded away. Roddy pulled back the chains and turned his dogs aside. The dogs, trained for the hunt, wanted to go on, but their master had another route in mind. Several thoughts bothered Roddy at that moment. He had been in these mountains for thirty years, but had never seen or even heard of such a cat. Also, though the panther easily could have left its pursuers far behind, it always seemed to appear out in the open not too far away, as though it was leading the farmers on. Roddy knew a diversion when he saw it, and he had a good guess of where the perpetrator might be hiding. He muzzled the dogs to keep them silent and headed back the way he came, back to the blueberry patch. 
Drizzt rested against a tree in the shadows of the thick copse, and wondered how he might further his exposure to the farmers without causing even more panic among them. In his days of watching the single-farm family, Drizzt had become convinced that he could find a place among the humans, of this or of some other settlement, if only he could convince them that his intentions were not dangerous. A buzz to Drizzt's left brought him abruptly from his contemplations. Quickly he drew his scimitars. Then something flushed by him, too fast for him to react. He cried out in a sudden pain at his wrist, and his scimitar was pulled from his grasp. Confused, Drizzt looked down to his wound, expecting to see an arrow or crossbow bolt stuck in his arm. The wound was clean and empty. A high-pitched laughter spun Drizzt to the right. There stood the sprite. Driz's scimitar casually slung over one shoulder, nearly touching the ground behind the diminutive creature, and a dagger dripping blood in his other hand. Drizzt stayed very still, trying to guess the thing's next move. He had never seen a quickling, or even heard of the uncommon creature, but he already had a good idea of the speedy opponent's advantage. Before the drow could form any plan to defeat the quickling, though, another nemesis showed itself. Drizzt knew as soon as he heard the howl that his cry of pain had revealed him. The first of Roddy McGristle's snarling hounds crashed through the brush, charging in low at the drow. The second, a few running strides behind the first, came in high, leaping toward Drizzt's throat. This time, though, Drizzt was the quicker. He slashed down with his remaining scimitar, cutting the first dog's head and bashing its skull. Without hesitation, Drizzt threw himself backward, reversing his grip on the blade and bringing it up above his face, in line with the leaping dog. The scimitar's hilt locked fast against a tree trunk, and the dog, unable to turn in its flight, drove hard into the set weapon's other end, impaling itself through the throat and chest. The wrenching impact tore the scimitar from Drizzt's hand, and the dog and blade bounced away in some scrub to the side of the tree. Drizzt had barely recovered when Roddy McGristle burst in. "'You killed me, dogs!' the huge mountain man roared, chopping Bleeder, his large, battle-worn axe, down at the drow's head. The cut came deceptively swift, but Drizzt managed to dodge to the side. The drow couldn't understand a word of McGristle's continuing stream of expletives, and he knew that the burly man would not understand any word of the explanations that Drizzt might try to offer. Wounded and unarmed, Driz's only defense was to continue to dodge away. Another swipe nearly caught him, cutting through his knoll cloak. But he sucked in his stomach, and the axe skipped off his fine chainmail. Driz danced to the side, toward the tight cluster of smaller trees, where he believed his greater agility might give him some sort of advantage. He had to try to tire the enraged human, or at least make the man reconsider his brutal attack. McGristle's ire did not lessen, though. He charged right after Drizzt, snarling and swinging with every step. Drizzt now saw the shortcomings of his plan. While he might keep away from the large human's bulky body in the tightly packed trees, McGristle's axe could dive between them quite deftly. The mighty weapon came in from the side at shoulder level. Drizzt dropped flat down on the ground desperately, narrowly avoiding death. McGristle couldn't slow his swing in time, and the heavy, and heavily ensorcelled weapon smashed into the four-inch trunk of a young maple, felling the tree. The tightening angle of the buckling trunk held Roddy's axe fast. Roddy grunted and tried to tear the weapon free and did not realize his peril until the last minute. He managed to jump away from the main weight of the trunk, but was buried under the maple's canopy, branches ripped across his face and the side of his head forming a web around him and pinning him tightly to the ground. Damn you, drow! 
Magrissel roared, shaking futilely at his natural prison. Driz crawled away, still clutching his wounded wrist. He found his remaining scimitar, buried to the hilt in the unfortunate dog. The sight pained Drizzt. He knew the value of animal companions. It took him several heart-sick moments to pull the blade free. Moments made even more dramatic by the other dog, which, merely stunned, was beginning to stir once again. "'Damn ye, drow!' Magrissel roared again. Drizzt understood the reference to his heritage, and he could guess the rest. He wanted to help the fallen man, thinking that he might make some inroads on opening some more civilized communication— but he didn't think that the awakening dog would be so ready to lend a paw. With a final glance around for the sprite that had started this whole thing, Driz dragged himself out of the grove and fled into the mountains. We should have got the thing, Bartholomew Thistledown grumbled as the troop returned to the blueberry patch. If McGristle come in where he said he would have, we'd have gotten the cat for sure. Where is that dog pack leader anyhow? An ensuing roar of... Drow! From the maple grove answered Bartholomew's question. The farmers rushed over to find Roddy still helplessly pinned by the felled maple tree. Damn drow! Roddy bellowed. Killed me dog! Damn drow! He reached for his left ear when his arm was free, but found that the ear was no longer attached. Damn drow! He roared again. Connor Thistledown let everyone see the return of his pride at the confirmation of his oft-doubted tale. But the eldest Thistledown child was the only one pleased at Roddy's unexpected proclamation. The other farmers were older than Connor. They realized the grim implications of having a dark elf hunting in the region. Benson Delmo, wiping sweat from his forehead, made little secret of how he stood on the news. He turned immediately to the farmer by his side a younger man known for his prowess in raising and riding horses. "'Go to Sundabar,' the mayor ordered. "'Find us a ranger straight away.' In a few minutes, Roddy was pulled free. By this time, his wounded dog had rejoined him, but the knowledge that one of his prized pets had survived did little to calm the rough man. "'Damn drow!' Roddy roared for perhaps the thousandth time, wiping the blood from his cheek. I'm gonna get me a damn drow, he emphasized his point by slamming Bleeder one-handed into the trunk of another nearby maple, nearly felling that one as well.